welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning. This side looked like it was having a lot of fun during worship. This side. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's good to see you guys this morning. It has been a morning for me, just so you guys have, you know what that means? It's been a morning. You know what that, okay, good. Parents with little kids know what that means, so. Well, we're going we're gonna to jump into the message this morning, because and, and, really it's a continuation of where we left off last time, and I also want to make sure that we've got enough time to, to cover everything. So this morning we're going to focus in on the, on the verses 10 and 11. Last time we looked at verses 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this morning we're going we're gonna to focus in on 10 and 11, but I want to start in, in verse 8 because it all kind of flows together. So we've got the verses up here on the screen here. So 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that we may give, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through prayers of many. All right, let's pray. Father, what a great passage. What a critical passage. And I, I feel it in my spirit that you want to share something powerful with each and every one of us this morning. And so I, I pray that, that we would have open hearts, that we'd have the ears to hear what you want to say to us knowing that we will be encouraged by it because we'll find life in you. We'll find power and hope in you. You who we have set this trust and this confidence upon. So we're going to trust you as best we know how. In your name we pray. Amen. So in, in verses 8 and 9, what we saw there was, was Paul talking about his own experience, his own time. Remember we said he, was, he felt an open door. He felt an opportunity to go to Asia to share the gospel there and maybe plant some churches and maybe thousands of people would come to faith in Jesus. Was all excited about it, but he faced instead hardship, difficulty, trials. He, he used the word uh, affliction, which means stress and pressure. And it was so bad, he said, that he was actually despairing of life that he was ready to quit. He was ready to give up because he just didn't see a way out. He wanted off this journey, he wanted off the, off the planet, really, because it was so hard. It was so discouraging to his, not just his soul, but even to his spirit because we saw that he was despairing that even God was going to be there, that even God was going to rescue him through this time. But he says all this happened for a purpose, that God had a plan. And the plan wasn't that he would go and change Asia. It wasn't all about what was happening there. The plan was so that he would learn to trust not in himself, but the God who raises the dead. We saw that's such a, a key principle there that's not what it wasn't only true in Paul's life, but it's true in every one of our lives. That you and I were going to learn to depend, we're going to learn to trust Jesus 
But we learn that not only through listening to, to messages or reading books or, or talking with other people, that's an intellectual understanding, but we also now have to learn that through the, the practice of it. And so we talked about being a training. And, and really, you think about the, the kind of training that, that is flexing the muscles of our faith, flexing the muscles of our dependence and our trust in him. And it's in these times of sorrow, these times of pressure, these times of disappointments, that it really begins to grow our faith. And we highlighted, and this is really, really important, that, that God's not punishing you with these trials. I think that's really critical to understand that because sometimes the response will be, well, if, if all this suffering's happening, why? Like, what, what mistakes did I make? And the answer is none. And we saw actually that it's out of his love that a father has for his child that he's willing to develop this kind of, of trust. Because it's in these, these difficult times, more than any other times, that we learn the insufficiency of the flesh. Right? I mean, Adam can tell you all kinds of stories about how awful his flesh is. We don't have enough time for Adam to tell us how awful the flesh is. But the reality is Adam needed, like all of us, he needed to see it through failure. He needed to see it through a time in his life. But it was amazing to see what God did, how God was able to transform that moment and make Adam into the man that we all love and respect today. Or at least most of us love and respect. No, no. <laughs> All right, but now what we want to do is we want to continue on into verse 10 because, again, it's a continuation of that. So in verse 10, Paul goes on and he says, he who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. I love that phrase. He on whom we have set our hope. That word hope could be translated a few different ways. It could be translated as confidence or trust. He is the one that we've placed our hope in. He is the one that we've placed our trust in. He is the one that we've placed our dependence upon. And again, this kind of trusting only comes through experience, only comes through the lab of life. I came across this, this story or this parable this week, and I, I just thought it was so good. I wanted to share it with you guys. It was, it was a grandfather who was talking to his grandson. He was saying to his grandson of how, how he used to walk 10 miles to work each way. Not uphill and in the snow. No, no, he just, just <laughs> normal stuff, right? So he walked 10 miles each, uh, each day to work. And then, but his son, this grandson's father, he said, he only walked five miles each way. But you, you now drive a Cadillac. And your son, he drives a Mercedes. And your, your great, your grandson my great-grandson, or great-great-grandson, he'll drive a Ferrari. But the one after that will walk again. And, and the, the grandson was confused. He says, well, why is that? He says, well, let me explain to you. He says, tough times produce strong men. Strong men produce easy times. Easy times produce weak men. And weak men produce tough times. Not many will understand this, but it's important, he says to his grandson, it's important that we raise warriors, that we raise men and women of valor, of integrity, and of deep faith. 
I look at our world and I don't, I don't think there's anything that's even come close to the prosperity and ease of life that we have today. Think about it. We have pantries full of food. We got microwaves that can make, you know, craft dinner in 30 seconds or less. Right? The, the instant everything. And if you don't want to cook, no problem. Pull out your phone, little skip the dishes, Uber Eats, and suddenly you've got, you know, any meal you can imagine basically delivered to you, and you don't even have to clean the dishes afterwards. We live in, in a time of prosperity, and it's, it's incredible, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. Every time I use indoor plumbing, I'm very thankful for that. But, but here's the reality of it, though. I, I believe we have a lot of weak leaders out there. A lot of weak leaders. And I see that based on the decisions they're making, that they're afraid to make the tough choices. They're simply making choices that will allow them to be popular, allow them to get reelected. And so those weak leaders are producing tough times. And that's what we're about to face. And so the, the good news is the church, though, has an opportunity. It's in those tough times that the church, you and I, have an incredible opportunity to share the light and life of Jesus Christ with others. And so we look forward to that. But it's to do that, to be able to offer something that requires that training. I like how James put it. In James chapter 1, verse, beginning verse 2, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Show of hands, how many people, that's their quick first response? Suffering. Oh, yay! Hallelujah! All right, so apparently Josh is lying. That's good to know. <laughs> but he says, consider it all joy. Why? Why would anyone consider it all joy when you, when you encounter various trials? He says in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's what we've been talking about. This testing, this trial. Now, please understand, this testing is not a to see if you're good enough or not. It's not to see, Ryan, if you pass, if, if your faith is enough. That's not what it's about. The testing that's done here is to figure out what works, what doesn't work. So how do we make it better? How do we improve on it? So that's the point of all of it. And he goes on in verse 4, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. It's in the trials that this is developed. And that's, that's such a critical principle. It's such an important principle in all of that. But how many people know it can be lonely when you're going through that kind of a trial? When you're going through that kind of a difficulty, you kind of feel like no one understands. And you can begin to feel like you're all alone and abandoned in it. <clears throat> and quite frankly, your friends might even be around you and they're looking at you and thinking, if there was something I could do, I would do it. I just don't know what to do. And I feel at a loss. I feel paralyzed. I don't feel like there's anything I have to offer. Well, again, let's go back to our passage here. Because I think Paul, Paul's giving us some insight as to what could be our response when others are struggling, when others are going through that kind of a, of a situation of a pressure, pressure cooker that's bringing about that kind of resilience, that's bringing about that kind of faith, what can we be our response? So beginning in verse 10, he goes on. He says, who delivered us, speaking of God, from so great a peril, and he will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Verse 11, you also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. 
See, what Paul's doing here is he's, he's inviting the church in Corinth to pray for him and Timothy and Silas and all the other people who are ministering with him. And he says, come along for the ride. Be a part of the journey. Be a part of what God's doing. And what's amazing is really, yes, it's for Paul, but it's also a benefit to the church in Corinth. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. In, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's thanking them for a gift that, he sent, that they sent him. In fact, they sent him multiple gifts. And he says, I want to thank you for it, but, but not because I was desperately in need of it. In fact, they didn't really need it at all because God provides. That's not saying he didn't use the money. He couldn't use the money. It's just that he wasn't dependent upon that money because God was looking after him. But he says, why I'm thankful is because now you will benefit it will be credited to your account, he's saying. See, think about it. Fast forward now to the day when we all stand before Jesus. And that judgment day is not a scary day. It's a day of celebration where we're celebrating all the things that God has done through us. Isn't that exciting? I can't wait to see what, what Eldon has accomplished, what Jesus has done through Eldon. That will be exciting. Be a, be a celebration. And Greg, I'm sure we'll have four things by that point in time. So that will be good, too. We're, we're cheering you on, Greg. You can keep going. Only three more to go, right? So I'm kidding, right? And so we're, we look forward to that day. But what's amazing is what Paul's saying is to this church in Philippi, those things that I was doing with the money you gave, you will be a part of that. Jesus will thank you for your involvement. And, and, and they might be going, well, I... I wasn't there for that. Well, no, but you participated in it. You were part of the team that made it all happen. And that's, that's true of today. That when you, when you give financially, whether it be here at New Life or, or maybe you give to, to the pregnancy center, right? We, we saw that they, they've got a fundraiser going on right now. And I just want to speak a little bit on that because right now in the U.S., there's this big deal going on about abortion and, and some of the laws of that being potentially overturned and what that means and the outcome of all that. And I was listening to one podcast, and, and, and they were saying, well, yeah it's, yeah, it's good that babies won't die, but, you know, what's bad about it now is all these single moms or unwanted babies, what will happen with them? And I think, man, that's what the pregnancy center is for, is to look after these women that don't have an abortion and support them and encourage them. And what an opportunity, what a gift it is to be a part of that. And I just think how... How amazing that is that when you give financially, you're actually there. You're almost in the room with those young moms and those little kids. And the food on their table and the diapers they have, what a blessing it is that you get to love them. What an opportunity we have. The same is true when you support missionaries like, like John Matthew and Kim Goodwin that we had a couple weeks ago. Right? The work they're doing in Bulgaria, if you're giving to them, you are participating in all that's happening there. And so when they were going through the, you know, the missionary slideshow and telling us of all the stuff that's happened, those who given participated in all that. What a cool opportunity that is. But maybe you think, I don't have the finances. I'm not in a position that I could give. Or, or I wish I could give more even. But I, again, I'm, I'm limited in, in what I've got. Well, I want to tell you there's something even much greater that you can offer any, any other ministry, any other person than money. And that's your prayers. Praying for other people. It's, it's what we often refer to as intercessory prayer. And it is incredible what it's able to do, what it's able to accomplish. 
There's a really cool story. It's not a well-known story, but it, it ought to be. It's a story of a man named Rees Howells in his Bible college during World War II over in England. So World War II, there was, a, there was many major turning points. But one of the, the biggest turning points of World War II was long before any kind of victory was happening. In fact, it, it was in a moment of, of defeat. It was the evacuation of Dunkirk. So what happened here was, was uh, Hitler and the Nazis were, were coming across Europe. They were overtaking France. And so the, the French and the British, they thought, we need to nip this in the bud right now. We're going we're gonna to defend France. We're gonna, this is going to be the wall. We're going to stop here. We're going to end, end uh, Hitler's terror. And so the British troops, they went in to join the French troops. And they got their butts kicked. They were losing badly. And now... Hitler and the Nazis had the British and the French troops on the run. And so they're running as far uh, west as they can. They eventually hit the water, the beach on Dunkirk, and now they're in trouble because there's nowhere to go. And they've, they've already lost the battle. They've lost a lot of their supplies. And, and any kind of hope for an evacuation is days away. All, all Hitler needs to do now is basically just send the troops and march them into the sea. And if that happens... All those French soldiers, all those British soldiers are lost. Britain will fall very quickly, which means that Hitler no longer has to defend the west side. He can now just focus on the east side, eastern front, and go after Russia. It's a major moment. At the same time, all this is happening. Rees Howells, he's, he's praying, and he gets something in his spirit that says, we need to pray for the soldiers at Dunkirk. Now, here's what's interesting. Nobody knew what was happening at Dunkirk at the time. Think about it. 1940, a wireless system was what we call a radio. And any kind of e-message was a telegram. Right? So they didn't have this internet. They didn't have instant updates, Twitter feeds, social media saying, hey, this is happening. We're in trouble. This is going on. Nobody knows about it yet. And yet Reese Howell's been put on his spirit. We need to pray for the soldiers at Dunkirk because they're in trouble and they need an escape. So he grabs together the college and they all begin to pray. For days, they're praying. And whatever, for whatever reason, and historians can't understand it to this day, Hitler stopped his army. They just stopped. They went no further, allowing time for ships to come and have the greatest evacuation, the largest evacuation, I think, of people, of soldiers, off the, the beaches of Dunkirk back to England, where they could live the fight another day. The power of prayer, Rees Howells and all those other men and women praying for those soldiers protected them in a way that is sort of like, you know, out of the scriptures, you know, the stories of Israel, right? Where, where somehow this, this massive army got chased away by some trumpets and some torches. That's the same thing happened in 1940. There's incredible power in prayer for us. And yet, I still struggle in it. I still struggle to pray and, and really, really see. It. I, I mean, I know it's important, but I, I struggle to do it at times. And part of that, I think, is because of how I was raised and the domination I was raised, where, where we focused on the Word. We focused on reading the Word and studying the Word and, and Scripture. That was what was critical. And, and prayer was, well, it was important because the Word says so. And so we would pray before meals and you pray before bedtime, but, but it was more of a... Uh, a rote kind of prayer. It was more of what you're supposed to do 
rather than a dynamic conversation with my father. And, and so what ends up happening is I, I just didn't know to do it very much. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to condemn you if you're like me and saying, well, you know, if only you prayed, then you know, those, those hungry people in Malaysia would not be as hungry anymore. It's all on you. That's, that's not the tenor of the point of this message. Instead, what I want you to see is the opportunity and get excited about the opportunity that we have in this thing called prayer and praying for not just ourselves, but one another as well. So to do that, though, let's examine some of the reasons why, some of the common reasons why we struggle in this area of prayer. And I, I know for me, each and every one of these, I could go check, yep, that applies to me. So the first one is we don't believe it actually matters. We don't believe it actually matters because, well, God's going to do his thing anyways. So what, what difference does it really make about me praying for these things? That's what I was raised with. Anyone else kind of believe this for a time? Right? I mean, God's sovereign. God's, God's in control. God's going to do his thing. So what difference does my prayers make? In fact, really, all I should just pray is, God, just do whatever you want, and I'm done. Prayed for it. And I, I take a very passive, very distant approach to all that. And, and I find it interesting that the enemy would take one of, the, one of the great comforting characteristics of our father and actually use it against our relationship with him to say that it doesn't really matter that we go to him or not. And yet, yet we see that it actually does matter in Scripture. There are many occasions, many times where, where God wanted his people to pray, was waiting for his people to pray, and when they prayed, he even began to do some different things. Here's a, one simple example. God was so frustrated with the Israelites. He says to Moses, he says, you know, these Israelites, I see what they're doing to you, and I know what they're doing to me. Tell you what, let's get rid of them. You and me, we'll start over, right? New people, no more bickering, no more complaining, just you and me. What do you think, Moses? Moses had an opportunity. Get rid of nagging Israel. But he said, no, God, would you spare them? And he said, okay. He's, in, he's listening. He's inviting Moses to be a part of all this. And so he's waiting for us to pray. Sometimes I think that he could act, but if he were to act, we wouldn't recognize that it was God that did the miracle. And we would just assume that something else happened. For example, what happened with Rees Howes? Not knowing that story, but maybe knowing about the Battle of Dunkirk, maybe knowing about that evacuation, you just sit there and go, well, it was just, just a weird thing that the, the Nazi army did. Foolish move on their part which is so odd because up to that moment, they were brilliant tacticians. And to make such a foolish rookie mistake, you wouldn't know it. But now that we know that Reese Howells was praying for them and all the Bible colleges praying for those, those people for those days, and I mean for days they were praying. They just dropped everything. Barely ate, barely slept. They were praying for those people. Knowing that, we know, oh, that was God. We recognize the miracle now. So I think sometimes God, he's waiting for us to come to him. He's waiting for us to pray so that he can then show up in a way that we know it's him to further encourage our faith and then to share the stories so that you would be encouraged. 
I know for me, when I was learning about Rees Howells, I, was, I just was overwhelmed by that. I thought, how, how amazing is this, this story? How do we not know this story better? Because I found it so encouraging. I've seen it in my own life. For example, I'll, I'll lose something, and I'll get frustrated with losing something. And, and then, then I'll hear this voice. Sounds a lot like my wife. <laughs> and she says, well, have you prayed about it? Oh, yeah. And so I pray, Lord, would you help me find it? And sure enough, in two minutes, there it is. Shows up. And, and I've seen it multiple times. We see it even in scripture where, where there was a guy who lost an axe head. Remember, it kind of dropped into the water. And they're freaking out and they're panicking about it. And then, you know, Elisha comes along. They pray and it floats to the surface. He's inviting us to be a part of what he's doing. And so he wants us to pray. Here's another reason. We're disappointed that our previous prayers didn't get the response we wanted. Can anyone else relate to that? That that we've asked for healing. We've asked for a miracle. We asked for God to to change the relationship, to change the situation, to, to bring healing to what we're dealing with. But nothing happened. Nothing changed. Maybe it even got worse. And so we think that, you know what, it's just, it's not po- no point to it. And so what we ends up happening is we're, we're, we pray because we're supposed to pray, but our heart's not in it. We, we've kind of just given up to it, right? It's, it's sort of like me like, doing my exercises. <laughs> All right, I've exercised for the day. <clears throat> right, I've, I've done my three jumping jacks, I'm good. Right, it's, it's, it's not, my heart's not in it. It's not real. And so what happens sometimes is in our prayers, because we don't actually believe that God's going to show up. We don't actually believe that God wants to show up. But he wants to do something. And so we just fire off a quick prayer and then walk away, ignoring it. Well, James wrote about this as well. Right after, in fact, verses 2 to 4 of chapter 1, where he talks about consider it all joy for the trials that we're facing, knowing that, the joy, that trial is bringing about that resilience. He goes on in verse 5, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you are struggling and you're not sure where to go, and looking around this room, I see a lot of people lacking wisdom. Come on now, don't take yourself too seriously. But any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. We had a big windstorm yesterday, right? And I'm driving along, and I just see all these, these traffic pylons just knocked over by the breeze. And he says, the, the one who's doubting is like those traffic cones, easily knocked over. For the man ought not to expect that he receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. If we go into prayer with the idea that, you know, God really isn't going to answer it anyway, so I'll just do it, and then, then I can say, check, I've done it, then why would we expect anything? There has to be an anticipation, a, a real belief in our heart that God's going to do something. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. He says this, if you pray for bread and bring no basket to carry it, you prove the doubting spirit, which may be the only hindrance to the gift you ask. 
It's important to actually believe that we have a God that cares, a God who loves you, a God that is genuinely working everything out for our good, a God that we can trust. And even in those times where we don't get the kind of answer we hope for, doesn't mean he wasn't working. Please understand, God answers every single one of our prayers, not always the way we want him to, but he answers every single one of our prayers. And even in those times where we don't get the answer, we know that, that that's the moment for us to double down in our confidence, our trust, our hope in him, because that's what he's bringing about. All right, next one. It feels like it's a one-way conversation because we don't recognize the voice of God. Can anyone relate to this one? It takes time to learn God's voice. I mean, that's, that's the simple answer of it. I mean, it took time for us to learn to write. It took time for us to learn to speak. It takes time and practice to learn any kind of communication skill. And the same is true with listening. Some husbands are still learning to listen, quite frankly. Amen. <laughs> and so it takes time to, to learn to recognize the voice of God. I remember when I was uh, in, in uh, university, and I was in my graduate studies, so I had lots of time being a grad student, and I was, I was living in Victoria Park. Well, that's not, I'm living near Victoria Park. <laughs> Although there were some days where in Victoria Park might have been an upgrade from student housing. But uh, so I was living around Victoria Park and I thought, you know, I've got time. I'm a grad student. I can walk to school, to the University of Waterloo. And so it was about a two hour walk each day. It was the summer and I was a grad student, right? So lots of time. So I thought I'm going to walk there and back and, and I'll have incredible opportunity to talk with my father. And that was the point. I was going to listen to anything. I wasn't going to be distracted by anything. That's not entirely true. I, I had a lot of squirrels I saw. But, but I, was, I was just going to be focused in, and I was going to listen to God. And my expectation was giving him four hours every day would be kind of like you know, where God walked with Enoch. And God walked with Moses. And God walked with David. And, and I had that vision. I was so excited. And I thought, God, you're going to reveal so many cool things to me in, in your word and in your heart and who you are. And, and I'm going to be such a mature spiritual giant afterwards. I can't wait. So after a few months of doing this, God only said one thing to me. Just one thing. Be still and know that I am Lord. Cease striving, another translation says, and know that I am Lord. Now, does that mean he didn't answer my prayer or he didn't answer my desire or he didn't show up and he wasn't speaking to me? No. Only, only looking back on it now do I realize that in the 20 years since I prayed that, has he been showing me? See, I thought it was just going to happen on those two-hour walks each way. God is saying, no, 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 we're going to do this through your whole life. And I'm learning his voice. I'm learning to discern what he's saying to me. And that's, that's improving with time. And I look back on my life and I recognize, you know, that was actually God trying to speak to me there and I didn't hear it. But now I can recognize it better. And I know 10 years from now, when I look back on today, I'll begin to recognize that's what God was saying to me. And so what are some things we can do then to kind of help learn, help discern his voice? I think the biggest thing is, is we read his word. We read the scriptures. Because in, those, in his word, he's revealing himself. Please understand your Bible, 
Your Bible is an autobiography. It's God's story about himself, revealing his ways and his character and his nature and his heart and his love for you and I. And so as we read the scripture, not because we have to, not because it impresses anyone, but just so we can get to know who Jesus is. So that when he speaks to us, and often he will quote passages of scripture, we will know that's, that was Jesus. That was God speaking to me. That word of encouragement, that word of hope, that was him. And so we can recognize it. And then when we need to make decisions, I always like Isaiah 60, verse 17. I will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. Meaning that, that I need to have no, when I, the choice I'm making is righteous. It fits God's character. And there's a peace about it. Not that there's, there's, it's, everything's easy, but despite the, the fears and the trepidation that I'm feeling, deep down, there's a peace that I know that God's in this, and I can step out in faith. Even if I'm wrong, God will correct me, because he's just looking for me to step out in faith. This is, this is akin to Peter in the boat, right? He says, Jesus, if this is you, call me out, and I'll step out. And he did, and he was walking on water for a moment because he believed that's what God was asking him to do. And that's what we're invited to do. And even if you start to make mistakes like Peter, get your eyes off of Jesus and onto the situation, there's Jesus right there to pull you out and to rescue you. All he's looking for is, will you trust me? Will you put your confidence and hope in me? Next, next common reason I think keeps us from prayer is we believe that we're disqualified. Disqualified and going to God because we forget who we are. We forget that we're his children. And shame's so powerful in our lives. And it sends this message, this belief that you're not good enough, that, that you got too many sins, that you're too much of a disappointment, or maybe that you're too broken, and that God can't use you, he can't hear you, or maybe worse, maybe you feel like God's just angry with you. And he's punishing you. I spent, spent much of my early Christian life believing that, that my heavenly father was disappointed in me, that he was just barely tolerating me because of what Jesus had done. But really, he, he had no, no interest in me other than just anger. That's not who my father is. Not at all. Think about what Jesus told his disciples. Let the children come to me. I think that was true in the moment for those kids, but I, I kind of think there was also a broader invitation. Let my children come to me. Please come to me. Please, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're burdened with, whatever's on your heart, just, just come to me. I want to hold you in my arms. I want to keep you safe and protected. Just, you got to come to me, though. You got to give me an opportunity. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus. He's our high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let's hold on to this truth that he loves you, that he's your Lord and he's your Savior and he's alive today in you. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Think about that. Ryan, when Jesus says, I understand what you're going through, it's because he does. 
He's been there. He's experienced this world. He's experienced everything that the world has to throw at him. The disappointment, the rejection, the abandonment, the abuse. Verse 16, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Let us draw near in confidence. Let's boldly go to Jesus. Think about it. You don't have to crawl on your hands and knees and prostrate yourself when you get before him. No, he says, run in there, full speed. Just like any little kid could interrupt their father. and Just run in there and say, Daddy, I need you. That's what he's looking for from us. That's what he wants from you and I. Let's, let's think about what would happen if we actually believed that? What would happen to this region, to, our, to the region of Waterloo, if, if as a church we boldly approached God in that kind of a manner? What do you think? Show us some answers. What kind of change? What would change? What would be different if we were to, to boldly approach God that way, to, to lead us and to, to direct us? Less anxiety in this world. Fills love, right? Revival would happen, right? Because the church would come alive. And we would we'd be able to accept people even if they disagree with us. I could finally begin to love Robin even though he's an Ottawa Senators fan. <laughs> right? So the community would change. What about our families? Think about it. If, if we boldly approach the throne of grace, and receive mercy for all that we need in that moment, how would that change our families? What would be different? Our families might love Jesus more. What else? Yeah, we'd raise those warriors. Again, what our world needs. What else? Sorry? We'd walk in authority. We trust each other even better. Oh, that would be, that'd be huge. Right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't approach each other with our guard up and our, our sword ready going, okay, I'm, I'm here to love you. <laughs> right? We lay down those, that armor, lay down those weapons and say, I'm, I'm here to love you. And I know you're hurting. I know you're struggling. But I'm on your side. And I know you're on my side. Change our marriages. Change our our kids. What would it do to you? Because quite frankly, that's where it all begins. It'd be great to see the change in our region, but the change in our region only will come when it changes our church. And that change in our church will come when it changes in our families. And that change in our families will come when that change happens in us. When we develop that, that habit of boldly running to Jesus to our Father and saying, here I am, Jesus, I'm struggling, and I need help. And I see my loved ones struggling, and they need your help. And so I'm here to pray for them. I'm here to fight for them right now through prayer. The next reason is, is we often lack the maturity in our faith, meaning that, that we just react to whatever we think is best without prayer. We, we, sometimes we just react without even considering talking to Jesus about it. We see this in the life of King David before he was king, when he was on the run from Saul. 
And, and often at times, he would inquire of the Lord, it said. Should I go here? Should I do this? But there was one moment in particular where that's missing. He never inquired of the Lord. He panicked. He got worried. And he decided the safest place for him was to go live with the Philistines, because that way Saul won't come after him. And so he was hiding out with the Philistines. The problem was he was now serving the Philistines. And there came a moment where David was ready or about to join the Philistines in their attack on Israel, which means that the future king of Israel was about to attack his own people. And he put himself in that situation because he never inquired of the Lord. And so he had to learn. He had to learn to trust God, as we all do. And over time, and I've, I've seen in my own life where I'm amazed that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes my first reaction is, oh, Jesus. And I, that's great. That's a starting point. Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. But I'm at least pointed in the right direction for hope. Another reason is, is we don't know where to begin. Overwhelmed with so many things to pray for. Sometimes that's how the enemy overwhelms us. Just starts throwing all these things at you, and you just don't know where to begin. Here's a, here's a brief list of things that you could be praying for. There's the war in Ukraine. There's a state of our society that's being ripped apart at the seams with the divide over masks, over vaccines, over mandates, over politics, how best we care for one another. There's a struggle that some people in our region who struggle with drugs and alcohol and homelessness. Think about it, in this incredible rich land, people still struggle with that. Then there are people hurting from past trauma or loneliness, the people who are sick, the marriages that are being ripped apart Please understand, society is being ripped apart at the seams, but there's no seam in a marriage to rip. Because in a marriage, they're one. Meaning when you rip a marriage apart, it frays. It's a far bigger rip, far bigger damage. Then there's the overcoming sinful habits like pornography, gluttony, and pride. There's a the general family prayers for our family that they know God, that their hearts are protected, that they will recognize the world's voice and how the world's trying to deceive them. Prayers for wisdom about decisions to be made. Prayers for one another when we, when we know about a tough time they're enduring. There's prayers for church leaders. There's prayers for missionaries overseas, the evangelism of our friends and our family and our neighbors. There's so many things to pray for that we just sort of don't know where to begin, and so we just don't do any of it. And that's kind of coupled into the next reason, which is I just, I don't know how. Often believing that prayer must be a formula, that there's a, there's a right way to pray for something. If those are you, those last two reasons are you, you're, again, you're not alone. It's interesting, even the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? Meaning that they didn't know, and they were with Jesus all that time, and, and seeing and observing Jesus and his prayer life, and they're like, I still don't get it. How do we pray? And then there's the other times where Jesus didn't even wait for them to ask. He just began to talk to them about prayer. See that guy and how he's making a big show of things? Yeah, don't do that. God's not impressed. See, see that person, how eloquent they sound and how beautiful their prayers sound and how on and on and on and on they're going? You know what you're feeling? Yes, yeah, so, so is Father. He's like, wrap it up. Right? He didn't wait for them to ask. He's pointing that out. He's talking to them about this. 
And so there's all kinds of prayers. We see formal prayers like the Lord's Prayer in Scripture. But we also see prayers of anguish, like Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We see prayers of crying out, literally crying out, help. And that's it. And then we have prayers like John 17, where it's Jesus praying for himself and his disciples. And this is so incredible. He's praying for you and I. Isn't that beautiful? Barry, Jesus was praying for you. And we have it recorded for us. And it's just a conversation between him and his father. And so there's really no format to it. It's just go to him and talk to him. My friend Ralph Harris, he's got a great view on it. And I, I really value Ralph's view when it comes to this relationship with God. He's got such a beautiful relationship with our Father. He says this, my prayers with God are conversational, not formal. And in that, there's room for calm, gentle, quiet, and listening, as well as for volume adjustments, hand-waving, fiery feelings, bad grammar, and bad vocabulary. That's all there because that's all me with God. He knows me in every moment already, so I don't change myself to create a better moment. It's as the old phrase goes, come as you are. Just approach him right now, just as you are. And so in the end, there's, there's no right way to pray. There's no right format, no right approach. It doesn't begin this, end here, with this in the middle, in this order. No, no. Some days, maybe. And other days, no. And other days, it's just, Sobs and sobs and sobs. He's just saying, come to me. Talk with me. Let him know what's on your heart. Maybe there's something that you're holding on to, that you're requiring in your life. And he says, will you trust me with it? Will you surrender it to me so that I can do what I need to do with it? Be it a situation or a job or your finances or a health. Maybe there's some wisdom we need. Maybe, maybe there's a change in attitude that needs to happen in us where we say, God, would you, would you soften my heart, my attitude towards this person? Would you, would you allow it and make it easier for me to love that person even though they're not a very lovely person right now? In fact, they're a very thorny and very prickly person, but would you, would you change me so that I'd be willing to embrace that thorny person? Maybe there's something that has hurt you that you need to talk to your father about. Something that maybe has created bitterness or maybe just created mistrust or that anxiety or that fear. Maybe you need to talk to him about that. Whatever you do, just, just go talk to him. And if your language gets a little crass and salty, so be it. It's not like he hasn't heard it before. Especially if you've thought it, right? If you think it, but don't say it, it's like, oh, at least I didn't say it. He heard the thought too, just so we're clear, <laughs> right? We're not, we're not going to play any games or pretend anymore. Just be honest, right? Drop all your pretense, all the pomp and circumstance. Save that for the queen if you ever meet her, right? But for your father, just come to me as you are, right? That's why we don't have to get dressed up on Sunday morning. We just come to him as we are. This is who we are, Jesus. You're talking to your father. You're talking to your older brother. That's the invitation we've been given. And then this is really important after you've cried out to him, after you've shared what's on your heart, 
Listen to him. Actually take some time and listen to him. See what he says to you. See what he puts in your heart. See what desires begin to form inside of you. And follow through on them. Step out in faith. Will you get it wrong from time to time? Sure you will. Because you don't have perfect discernment. But that's okay. He's just inviting you to trust him on this journey. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. And anytime you can quote C.S. Lewis, it makes you sound smart. <laughs> he says, it's the moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. Can anyone relate? Can I get an amen? What am I going to do? I got to do this. The guy fixes. Oh, well, that's going to happen. Oh, man, the world. Is it spinning the right way? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. What happened last night? Can I check the news? What's going on over here? And all of a sudden, shoo, overwhelmed with this world. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. What if we could develop the habit where when we wake up, our first reaction isn't grab our phone. Our first reaction is, good morning, Jesus. I got a busy day. Feeling anxious about today. Feeling overwhelmed by today. But I'm glad I'm going to do it with you. And then see what he offers you. See what counsel, see what wisdom he offers you. So let's, Let's apply that now. What does that mean for us here at New Life Fellowship? What does that mean for us as a church? Well, we want to pray for you. We want to be a church that is a prayerful church. So there's lots of ways that you can communicate those prayer requests. If, if you want just the elders to know, because maybe it's a bit of a delicate situation and you don't want it to get it all out there and everything, then you know, there's, there's some ways you can communicate to us. There's a box at the back that you can fill it a, a prayer request form. Or you can go online or use the Church Center app, and you can drop a message. And again, you, you can put your name on it. Or if you want, you can leave it anonymous in both cases. And we're happy to pray for you. We really are. It's an incredible honor to pray for you guys. And we see those prayer requests and keep them coming, please. But maybe, maybe it's not something that needs to be you know, kept quiet. We saw this week, right, with Tim and all he's going through. With his, with his father you know, coming to the end of, of his life, and now he's bringing his sister over, and all kinds of stuff is happening. And, and so I'm so glad that Tim shared that with all of us as a community, because now you've got everybody in this community praying for Tim and his dad. Beautiful. And so there's lots of opportunity. Maybe, maybe you just grab a friend, or you shoot them a text. Or even better, you use your phone as a phone. Did you know it's a phone? I didn't know. And you call him up and, and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this right now. And if you're that friend who's got that call or that text, resist the urge to give advice. It may come, but don't do it right away. Let them talk, hear their heart, and then offer prayer. And then at the end of all that, you have something that you want to share. You believe God wants you to share with them. Ask permission. Can I share this with you, this idea? Then you can do whatever you want with it. But here's, here's what comes to my heart. And then share that with them. And maybe that's how God answers their prayer. Maybe that's how God speaks to them. And what's beautiful, again, is it's not just that person now. We all get to participate in that. 
that person on that phone, praying for, for Tim and others who are going through things. As elders, it's so incredible to know what's happening in your hearts and being a part of that journey and praying for them. And as Paul wrote in the passage, the response will be great many things because you have a crowd of people rejoicing. Beautiful. And then finally, pray. In that moment. So much, it's so easy to forget, so just pray in the moment. And so that's what we want to do right now. I want to invite the elders to come on up here, and we're going to kind of stand in front of the stage here. And, and if, if there's something you want to be prayed over for, then just grab one of the elders, right? Doesn't matter who, we're just happy to pray for you and happy to love on you and, and just grateful for the opportunity. And, and again, it's so powerful. It's so so important. I know for me, right before I get up here, we, we try and pray during the time of worship, forever speaking. And I went back there and I said to these guys, it's, it's been a day. And they began to pray. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. It's one other guy. He's not here. He's not important, though. <laughs> Just looking after the kids. But it made such a difference in my heart. So I want to just invite you. We'll just be up here for, for a little while after the service. The rest of you guys can go grab your kids. But let me just pray right now. Father, I don't understand prayer. It's so inefficient. I just think you should just do it. Just cut out the middleman. And yet you choose to invite us to be a part of it. You give us the opportunity to pray for our, our loved ones our friends, people in this church, people in our community, people in our nation. So I'm so grateful for that, Jesus. I pray that we would be people that have our confidence and our hope in you. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.